Hello and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I am Lemuel. And this week we are going to talk about The Stand Part 2. I've forgotten what it's called. The Dreams. The Dreams. Although there was plenty of dreams in the first episode. Yes, but the first episode was called The Plague for obvious reasons. It was a plague. It's true. Before we get into it, how was your week? Oh, my week was lovely. I took a lovely vacation, and I had the best kind of camping experience. Um, a not camping camping experience? I'm not going to go into that. <laughs> However, it was lovely, and the air was really good, and I slept well, and I ate well. It brought back my appetite. So it was, it was a lot of fun in a lovely place, visiting wineries and drinking lots of wine, and apparently having chocolate truffles made in Nevada City by a gentleman who actually made chocolate truffles for the Holy Father in Rome. Wow, Pope yes. truffles. Yes. That's were. the fanciest they kind of truffle. But apparently he's, uh, there is a... Request. Current Pope or current former Pope? pope. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, I don't really pope. need to share anything well, with Benedict. <laughs> uh, John Paul II also. Okay, so good Pope. this person's Pope, Yes. So, uh, so we have the John Paul, the popular pope, and the progressive pope, both like this man's chocolate truffles. But um, there may have been too much wine drinking. No such thing. Because were you driving? Of, you were fine. I wasn't driving, which is the reason why I had to dispose of somebody else's half-filled glasses of wine. See, you then, were there for a very important purpose to I keep was. everyone safe. Just as I often am, master of coin. This time I was master of wine. Master of wine, <laughs> and and it led to a very wobbly walk through the countryside. So. Sounds lovely. So how was your weekend? Uh, it was good. And you missed my presence as Master of Coin. I did miss your presence as Master of Coin. Yes. I did go to a casino and gamble a little. I didn't lose all of my money. Uh, and I had a delicious steak dinner. That's good. Yeah, it was that good. sounds fun. And I got some writing done because NaNoWriMo is happening. We're in full Nan- swing. NaNoWriMo is also very demanding. It is. Because you have Especially a when you've missed a couple of days and now you've uh, upped the rest you of your... You really can't miss any you days. You can't. Uh, so I have changed my goal from six, six, 1667... <laughs> no, words a day. 1667 like, uh-huh. to 2200. So, and that puts me well ahead of where I need to be, but it gives me a better idea of where I need, where I need to be aiming per day. And it's working so far. I haven't written anything today, so yay. But I did go to a movie this afternoon, and um, it was research. Uh, so we saw another movie, too, but we'll mention that later, We'll I guess. talk about it yes, later, yeah. But, but you liked the movie you saw today? Or you... I liked, I've liked the movies I've seen the both of the last two days, yes. Okay, all right. Yep. If you say so. Wink. No, I'm kidding. Blink. So, <laughs> to blink, because it was like a wink, only it required both eyes at the same time. I have all the hiccups, apparently. Okay, you want to get into this episode? Yes, I do want to get into this episode. Okay, so I blocked uh, each episode or each scene by who's in it. Okay, and typically it's a couple. Now, <laughs> so, is it going to be a scene, or you're going to have each thread of the storyline? No, no, no. It's going to. It's by scene. I've broken this up by scene. I'm trying new, different note-taking techniques. Different techniques. So. Okay. So we'll start with Franny and Harold, and Franny is singing to her dad who is deceased and is being sewn up into what appears to be a sail. And then she drags 
what is clearly not a body down the stairs. <laughs> and then Harold comes. Hey, Harold, you're very thirsty for being one of the only people left alive. And helps her carry him, him the rest of the way down the stairs. That's when it looks like there might be a body, but still probably not. And then after she gets cleaned up and takes a shower, they find a record and they play the song that you most closely relate with this movie, right. which is? I don't remember the title. I think it's the... called Don't Dream It's Over. Let's see. Don't Crowded Dream It's House, Over. Uh-huh. Don't Dream It's Over. She plays it on a little um, wind-up record player. Uh-huh. Yes, and that is the song that you think of most. Why? I think of most because that image of what appears to be a teddy bear uh, drifting in the surf. Mm-hmm. It's there are. I said last week that Mick Garris is not a particularly creative filmmaker, mm-hmm. um, and that might not always be the case. I think that this set of images, the montage that plays while this song is playing, is very evocative. So I can't hear this song without seeing that image. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And it's really well done. I think that. Also, there is the idea that Harold, Harold, at this point, tries to. Oh, he makes another overture. Yes, this time very open because he doesn't. Basically, have to... like I'm like the last living man on earth, and she's like, "We're friends." Right. <laughs> like, Oof. and she seemed to be a lot more at home in this ep- uh, segment of the program. Yeah, but she also dances with him, which. She is on a some to some extent uh, leaning on him, and which is not good given his devotion to her. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if. But I, I also feel am that... like if she's the, he's the only person she needs him to be a friend, right? And he's not going to be willing to do no, that. So. He's not. Spoiler alert. And uh, Harold asks her if he she knows how to play a, or ride a motorcycle, and she mm-hmm. says yes. That just had taught her. And he's like, oh, Jess, that's her boyfriend. And she goes, well, not anymore. And we don't know that he died for sure, but... Yeah, they broke up before the death yeah, anyhow. So anyhow. It's so. probably a good assumption that at this point, along with most of the human race, he is, he deceased. is deceased. And he might, uh, he might be somewhere rolling around in the surf with a teddy bear. Who knows? Hey, now. Hey, now. Next up, we are back in New York City uh, with Larry. We see a dead Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So his yelling of the end times has come full circle oh, for him. Like, yeah, <laughs> he was murdered by Mr. Flag in the last episode, but we, we just get this scene of him in a very cramped-looking New York, by the way. Well, it felt yeah, very they got two days small. and two, two blocks. Larry finds Nadine. Nadine Cross. Now, Nadine Cross is... Played by Sandra, Laura Sangiacomo. Right. Who is much thinner and younger than I th- remember her being in this in this part? Uh, you may know her from was it news radio? Well, she did uh, just shoot me, and she was it was a, just shoot me. It wasn't news radio. It a BAFTA award me. and two time Golden Globe award winner. Yeah. This is a little. Well, let's see what. I'm sorry. When was this? Uh, the stand. 1994. So this is a few years. Just a couple of years after she came out, in um, she had a breakthrough part in the Sex Lies and Videotape. Oh, I have no which was such knowledge a of weird that. film, and she was she had this weird uh, this audibility to be like very sexy and very vivacious and really tiny at the same time. She is ve- she is very small. She's like an atom powered tiny person. She has a gun. Uh-huh. Uh They end up sort of spending 
some time together. They go to a restaurant. And no, he, this is her and the rock star. Yes, Larry, mm-hmm. I, which I... I know, I was okay. just clarifying because I, I forget the, the character's name so much as oh, I remember the type. Larry makes her dinner uh, at a steak uh, restaurant, and he says, you know, how do you want this cooked? And she goes, just walk it through a warm room, which means very yeah, rare, really which good. is exactly how uh, Stephanie likes her steak, and a little rarer than I might want mm-hmm. mine, but I will eat it that way. Uh and while they're eating, they're, they can hear gunshots so that they know that they're not the only people left. And it sounds like a lot of the people that are left are... Not the people you want to be, have left. Right. Uh, we see Nadine, Nadine taking pills. Larry asks her about them, but then doesn't sort of press the issue. Because, hello, first of all, they just met. Second of all, it's none of your uh, business. And uh, they decide that they're going to leave. They're going to go through a tunnel. I don't understand why they make that choice. They don't discuss why they make it's that choice. It's the fastest route to going. Now, he is, at this point, suffering from these dreams, and she's claiming that That's she's not That's the other him. thing, yes. They right. talk about, although they don't really talk about it here. Uh-huh. They talk about it a little bit later. But, yes, Larry is dreaming of Mother Abigail. Nadine is dreaming of Randall Flagg, and is apparently, and we find this out later than this, but... Betrothed. She is. I don't know that we get this information even in this episode. She's a virgin. Mm-hmm. We okay. We do get that information. He does talk in the restaurant about dreams, and she's like, "I don't dream." And I'm like, "Well, that's because you're taking drugs." But she does dream. But we'll talk about. Yeah, mm-hmm. let's let's come back to them. So they decide that they're going to leave, and then we switch our view to not a not a couple, a single. And that's trash can man blowing up cherry oil and later we come to find out not only did he blow up the oil he blew up all of des moines des moines burns the fuck now, down i'm not sure having never read the book what his motivation is is he just a pyromaniac and yes. he enjoys things he's an arsonist he right. was in an asylum mm-hmm. that was either overrun or released when the illness hit um or he's always he's always heard voices mm-hmm. telling him to burn things, uh, and now he's hearing a specific voice telling him to burn things. Randall Flagg is in his dreams and in his waking right. mind as well, uh, telling him that he's going to have a place on the council, and no one can do what he can do. So he just likes to blow things up. Yes, that's okay. that's his entire that's now, his whole character. I think that. This was a good piece of casting because they got an actor who will run with crazy. Right. This is the first time we do see Trash Can Man. Uh-huh. It's Matt Frewer, formerly uh, Max Headroom, right. uh, which is a show that is before my time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've never seen an episode. I don't really I do. know I what really it is. I actually really liked it. It was a program about, it was um, a satire kind of in the order of uh, network. Was he a AI? What he was, yes. He was a newspaper reporter who is almost killed in an accident. And he's, part of his consciousness is resurrected as an artificial consciousness inside of a computer. Mm-hmm. And he, he uh, which is the reason why Max Headroom, that was the last thing he saw before his head hit. A, oh, maximum. Oh, right. Jesus. Gross. <laughs> and not them. <laughs> but the episodes themselves, it was done first as an English television show, I believe. Oh, okay. And then it was done here in America with most of the same production staff. Late 70s, early 80s? Is that about it the... It was the 80s, and okay. it wasn't... I'm not sure if it was the early 80s. 
Because I feel like it was before I was sort of he, cognizant yeah, of what television. Was about Max Headroom is that here in the States, he was more of a character in, he was known to people in like Coke advertisements uh, before he got to. Uh, Introduced in early 1984. Right. Because I was still in high school, I think, at the time, and you were like, what is this? But and he is like CGI. Yeah. Which is pretty wild. It was really experimental. Some of the plots to the Max Headroom show were actually terribly funny. One of the things that has been disturbing getting older is that one of the early jokes on that show was that he was uncovering the menace of blipverts, which were advertising commercials that condensed a whole minute into two seconds of information. So subliminal advertising. But it was so fast that it causes people's head to explode. Oh, God. And that was a conspiracy he was trying to uncover. And now, having watched 15-second commercials, I'm right. thinking it... Also <laughs> scanners. Um, right. Interesting. Okay. So, yeah, that was what he was in before. Mm-hmm. And I always get Matt Frewer and Ed Harris confused. I just... Matt Frewer's a lot taller, I think. I get him and Dwight Schultz confused. They... And they have... Very different energies. Right. Um, everything I've ever seen Max Hedrum in, he is frenetic. Right. He doesn't stop moving. Right. I mean, and he was, you know, animated to sort of do this weird shake thing. Mm-hmm. This like uh Well, it was almost thing. like they removed frames so that yeah. his movements were really kind of random Jerky. and disturbed. Yeah. It was intentional. Though. Yeah. And then this character is the next thing I think I really got mm-hmm. a lot of him in. And uh, he's... Uh, He's a lot. He's mm-hmm. doing a lot. <laughs> but for this part, it's okay to go over the top. No, yeah, no, that's the whole yeah. thing. So our next scene is a dream scene, and it is Mother Abigail and Flag. Uh, there are rats in the corn. Mother Abigail sees rats in the corn, and she's talking to God. She's just having a conversation with God, and she's like, I mean, I'm going to do what you want me to do, but this sucks, and I don't want to do it. I am an old lady. And even your son asked that the right. cup be taken from his lips. Uh, and then she sings, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, and strums on the guitar, but her hands start bleeding. And then Randall Flagg is standing in the corn, and she, he's saying, Your blood is in my hands, and, and there's blood all over the guitar. And then, I don't know whose dream that is, I Mother Abigail's, like, I guess. I really felt like that moment, and this is one of the things I'm going to wind up saying a lot during the before the end of the show, that moment could have been so much more subtle and effective. Yeah, there's not a lot of no, subtlety not in this. this. And, and, you know, the, the denouement, as we've talked about before, yeah. is so... Yeah. It's a lot. Heavy-handed, Yeah, for lack of a better word. So then we go, and Lloyd is in jail, and everyone in the jail is dead, and he is killing rats to survive. We saw that in the previous... Uh, the end of the previous episode. Mm-hmm. And Randall Flagg shows up in the flesh and basically is like, you know, I'm going to make you a lieutenant. Nobody's ever really seen what you can do or taken you seriously. Right. And Lloyd is like, no, not even my partner, Poke. I don't even fucking know what just happened. Like, I don't even know really how I ended up here. I don't feel like I made any decisions. <laughs> it just, like, my life just happened to me. Right. Um, and Flag lets Lloyd out. Now, there's a very funny reference to go to Las Vegas here that we'll talk about later. Mm. Uh, there's a very funny exchange 
when Randall Flagg introduces himself to Lloyd. Pleased to meet you. Oh, yeah. What does he say? Hope you know my name. Right, which is... A line from Sympathy for the Devil. Right, which I thought was a very funny kind of way to introduce yeah. his character. And Jamie Sheridan pulls it out very nicely. He does. I don't appreciate anything Rolling Stones related, so I'm just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, it's a <laughs> it's a meet-cute for it, her it who is his a character yes. is. No, that's right. And then we're back to Larry and Nadine, and they are going to... It's July 1st. Mm-hmm. It's July 1st. It's like... 15 days since so this started. this is started. a very rapid plague. Rapid, very rapid uh-huh. plague. The Lincoln Tunnel is blocked, so they have to walk through it. And the Lincoln, it's July in New York. Mm-hmm. There are bodies everywhere. Why would you not go over a bridge? She didn't want to go over the bridge, which is the excuse. Originally, yes. and then she's like, well, we're going to start walking to the cons- 37 right. blocks to the George Washington Bridge. And But I'm like, I'm not... I think what the implication is is that she didn't want to cross over the bridge and there were too many of these roving gangs shooting each other. So that's why it when just, she escapes and says, I'm going to cross over the bridge, he says, with a great deal of sensitivity... I add, you know, have fun getting shot, killed, and raped. Killed and raped. Yeah, he he has a big baby why me moment where I was like, Larry, Larry, hey, this is not about you. Everyone's doing their best here. But, like, honestly, they made bad choices. Mm -hmm. I understand not wanting to be out. They're both armed at this point, though. Mm -hmm. And I am not (laughs) going to walk through a tunnel in 110 Uh, degree heat that's filled with bodies. That is not a thing I'm going to do. I don't know that we can really count Nadine as armed because she seems to be shooting at just about everything in sight. Like, this is not... She's... Well... But no, it's not even her. It's Larry that ends up... So Larry Larry ends up emptying his gun too, yeah. Yeah, Larry goes into the tunnel Mm -hmm. and then she follows him and he starts firing his weapon at her because she doesn't fucking say anything to him. And she has this, like... She catches up. She apologizes. He apologizes. He's like, did I get you? And she goes, no, but I felt the wind from the bullets. Mm-hmm. And there's tile chips and my face is bleeding. And I'm just like, she like it's very much like there are flames on my <laughs> face. She does this I have to weird say, this tile This is the reading. why I like her in this part. She is very natural. She pulls off some of the like ridiculous you things that she has that to say. That's, he, I, well, because it was a dumb line. You know, she's having to no, work it was with a dumb, dumb line. line. Like, it was I, a dumb I line. felt the bullets pass away. Just like she's doing her best to make this yeah. work. <laughs> let's, yeah, mm-hmm. let's go to the next scene and then I want to talk more about them because okay. I, yeah. Um, we go, we're in Massachusetts, somewhere in Massachusetts, and uh, we come upon Glenn Bateman, who's played mm-hmm. by my favorite Martian. Ray Walston. Ray Walston. Uh, painting. With his dog. He's got his dog. His name is Kojak. And Stu comes upon them. Who? Stu comes That's upon them. That's a weird them name the... for a dog. I'm just saying, especially a fluffy dog. What? He's not. I mean, he's a golden retriever. He's not yeah, like. But Kojak's fluffy. bald. Uh, see a chihuahua. But Stu comes up to them and is like, I'm a friend, and holds his hands out. And his one hand is open, and the other hand is holding a fucking, it, what looks like a semi-automatic right. rifle. And I'm like, dude, you could have tucked that away. <laughs> like He's clearly not holding it in a way that he could fire it very rapidly, mm-hmm. but he is holding out a big weapon to this guy. So Glenn um, 
And Glenn is singing, Baby, Can You Dig Your Man, as he's painting. And they have a little exchange that's very cute. And Stu is like, oh, it might be better if you painted with your glasses on. <laughs> and then Glenn's like, not the way I paint. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, he doesn't want to see the results of the He's not good at painting. Just let him do his thing. And um, and he, oh, and the place that they're at is gorgeous. There's like right. this little bridge and mm-hmm. there's like, yeah, it's very nice. I'm just like, we could just stay here. And uh, and then we go back to Larry and Nadine. No, you haven't mentioned Nick and them. Um... We haven't gone to Nick and them. Wow. Um... It was this much of the story. Uh-huh. Okay. We go back to, we're in Pipersville, Pennsylvania. Pipersville. And it's Larry and Nadine, and they're making out in a tent. She says no, and he kind of pushes a little further, and she finally gets him off of her. Um, and he says, uh, she says, he says he wants her. She says, I know. He says, do you want me? And she says she needs more time. And then she says she doesn't dream. And then we go into dreams, two dreams. And right. one is Larry dreaming of Mo- Mother Abigail singing her favorite song, right. What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And then we have Nadine dreaming of Randall Flagg. She's making out with him. He's very cold. Mm-hmm. And Flag is like, leave him. And she's like, he's a puppy. I can take care of him. Or like, I, I, I can handle him. And Flag's like, no, get away from him. Well, Because when you find me, we're going to uh, get married. Her complaint, or his complaint, is that, or rather Nadine's complaint, is that he's warm and Flag is cold. Right. Yeah. And she's already put off by the fact that he's kind of icy and weird and... Yeah. But then as soon as she's like, he says married, she gets all starry-eyed. And then Larry wakes up alone to a Dear John letter. And here's the thing. As much as I love Laura Sanchez acting in some of the parts for uh-huh. Nadine, I find her character to be repulsive. And not someone I would want to spend any time at all with. So I'm like, is Larry only mad that he's alone because he doesn't want to be alone? I believe so. And then he wanted to fuck her? right off the bat... (laughs) No, I think that right off the bat... And I I can say from... You know, I, I, I guess... I can understand what his thing is because he's suddenly by himself. He doesn't like being by himself. Remember, he's trying to call to hook up with one of his friends in New York. Just because he doesn't, you know, he doesn't seem to be good without company. Maybe but that's it. I think that when he finds her, it's like, a, you know, he even says to her at one point, very early on, I can smell your perfume. Yeah. It's like the need well, to be... Well, it's just a, a person that's right, a human a being and not a corpse. And then yeah. he's angry at her taking the pills, so there's already an element to where yeah. if this was circumstances were different, they would not be doing this. No. But I think that the whole scene through the tunnel is well played because despite the goofy in- exchanges they have, and really illogical, you don't say anything when somebody's shooting at you yeah, in the dark. Yeah, like, that a, was dumb. especially somebody you know. Right. Like, all she had to do was say, it's me. Right. But so that, that didn't uh, work for me, but I think that... But she's just what, so, like... What did uh, work... Right. Like, every t- everything she says has that uh, tone to it, and uh. I'm like... Oh my God! What it. did work and what made me believe this part of the story is that the scene in the tunnel—they really look like they're beginning to become interdependent on each other. Mm. Now it's not just because I think before that they're going their separate ways, and he's like, "Fine, 
Yeah, you fuck you then, bitch. And then, <laughs> but when they get together in the tunnel, they seem to actually really bond, and that immediately leads to the scene of the tent. And the tent. Although I think that they've been kissing and whatnot before that. Um, my sense is, it feels very much like they're together because they're a male and a female. There's no real other, like, mm. she's not necessarily his type. They have nothing to talk about. Right. But her personality grates on me a lot. And I'm just like, I don't particularly love him either. Because as soon as he was like, why me? Why do I have to deal with all this stuff? I'm like, you're alive and fucking everyone else is dead. So could we get a little less self-pity up in here, please? Because you could just join them. It'd be real easy. See, I feel that (laughs) a lot of this, and again, I I don't want to seem, I enjoyed the whole program. Mm -hmm. As a whole, really a lot. But Me too. I'm not. I'm not I feel saying that, that when these I'm looking not... at it, that sometimes there were some characters who just got a short shift, where it feels like yeah. they are having not even polished dialogue. Yeah, that this is like a first draft or something. Yeah. Some of those scenes feel like it. Yeah, and so some of that scene in the tunnel again, it works dramatically going through the tunnel and all the corpses and things like that. But it's just such a bad But then it just has such a, a really dumb ending where, oh, you were shooting at me and I just happened to be quiet and yeah. not say anything. And yeah, yeah. I felt the bullets flying by my head. I decided to buy like, like flames. You know, that, which, yes. By the way, I, I saw that clip now and I get the joke. Next we have everybody's favorite. Y'all, this needs to be your favorite. I'm telling you now this is going to be your favorite. May, Oklahoma, July. I don't have a date. Nick meets Tom. Tom and Nick. I ship forever. Uh, So Tom Cullen is a grown man with the mental capacity of maybe an eight-year-old? Yeah, maybe. Six six to eight? He's a... He's slow. They say touched in the South Miami. Right. Uh, he thinks that everybody left him to go to Kansas City. Um, There's only one picture show in town. It's those, what do you call them? Nudie pictures? Nudie, or yeah, something, something like, like that. He has set up um, these mannequin displays in various uh, places with balloons and things because he thought it would cheer up the downtown like, right. because it was so lonely. Uh, and he, um, he can't r- communicate with Nick. They end up playing charades, uh-huh. but he doesn't know what Nick's name is because he can't read. He, right. he, he didn't do good in school and he left, uh, before fifth grade. Uh, he could read some Curious George then, but he has lost the ability to do that now. So Nick can't write uh-huh. anything to him. Uh, but they, and he, so Nick, uh, communicates, you know, can you drive? And Tom's like, laws, no. <laughs> uh, and so they both, they just, he, they get bikes and they head on their way. Uh, Nick goes ahead and, well, Tom knows about the lady in Nebraska, but wants to check out Kansas City because he does think that that's where everybody went. Nick's like, I mean... No, but if you want to go, we can go. And uh, when we pick them up later, they have already gone. Um, But then, uh, yeah, Tom knows we're going to go see the old black lady. 
She's real nice. So she lives in a little house in the corn. I have to say, I don't know exactly how to pronounce his name. Bill Fagerbaki? Yeah. Is was born to born play to this, play this part. He's, he's so endearing. Right. He's not mocking. No. Uh, which could happen, and I'm I'm hopeful that the person that they got for the new one is also you. What you need to do is just be um open. Right. Just open and simple. Just simple and open. That's what Tom Cullen needs. M-O-O-N, well, that spells simple and open. It's a quality that we both like a lot, which is someone who's utterly guileless. Guileless, yeah. There's no harm in him mm-hmm. at all. And the character that he's playing, and I remembered him from before this as Dauber mm-hmm. on Coach. Mm-hmm. But he was also playing a guy who was a little mm-hmm. slow on the uptake. Now, the joke there probably was unfortunate because I'm sure it had something to do with the damage he had playing football. Probably. So in retrospect, it's not funny anymore. Yeah. But, which was the same joke with, on Cheers with a coach. Um, Nicholas Clasanto's character in Cheers, who had so many sports-related injuries to the head that he no longer was functioning well. So mm-hmm. that, that's a joke whose time has passed, really. But this performance, he's doing, he and Rob Lowe are doing George and Lenny. Yeah. In this sort of post-apocalyptic George and Lenny, and they're doing it really well. These yeah. two actors have... It's a pity that they haven't done anything since, because they have a great deal of chemistry. Of chemistry together, yes. This is... I ship them forever. Like, I, <laughs> I know that they're not... It's not a... I just want them to be friends and love each other right. and take care of each other forever. Spoiler alert, that is not what's <laughs> going to happen. Um, but they both play the parts... Completely open. There's right. an openness to both of them mm-hmm. that just sort of sucks you in. Right, it does. Yeah, and the fact that right off the bat, there's no judgment from Nick. Nope. And then, as we see later on, because I know that you're going to talk about um... <laughs> Julie Lowry. She's the worst. <laughs> Julie Lowry, who uh, God bless Shawnee Smith. Who will go there? Yeah. That's that's what they're gonna put. Yeah, let's let's come the back distant to her future when we on get her headstone. Her, she was willing to go there. Um, yeah. So so that's that's we get the first meeting and then they sort of ride off on bikes together. Uh-huh. And then we get some corn. We're in somebody's dream. It's Stu's dream. Stu here's what my notes say. This is all my notes say. Mm-hmm. It's like a weird poem. Corn. Stu naked in the corn and i spelled naked n e double k i d uh he's i guess just sleeping in just mm-hmm. you know sleep pants or whatever but he is just shirtless in the corn for right. no reason and then it says quote your last hope i'm not exactly sure right what i don't know what happened here but Stu had a dream where he was naked in the corn and then he woke up and then we have Stu and glenn uh and they're talking about whether they should go. Glenn is reluctant a little bit because he's like, dude, I'm old. Right. We're in Massachusetts. That's a long way to go. No, I find it interesting that they're all just sort of agreeing, okay, these are all our dreams and we're being beckoned. I, I think at this point, though, the world... Well, when other people are having your same dreams, right. it's hard to sort of just be like, it's just a dream. Right. Right. 
Uh, and then Fran and Harold show up. And they ask, where are you guys headed? And Harold immediately says, Stovington, Vermont. Mm -hmm. uh, Fran says, Nebraska, almost at the same time. Uh, Stu says, there's nothing in Vermont. Mm -hmm. And he's like, you don't know what's there. And Stu's like, yeah, no, I really do. Because that is where he came from. That is the facility that he left. And he has very poor memories of, I'm sure. Yeah. And he's like, there's nothing there that you don't want to see or that you that you want to see, see. Yeah. uh and then we see Stu pull harold aside because harold like clearly is like hackles up and he's like i'm not making a move on you or, i'm not making a move against you mm -hmm. like you clearly are you know with her or whatever and i'm not gonna right. get I'm involved gonna in that intervene. which is a deeply gross conversation <laughs> I understand why Stu did it. Okay. Stu did it because I understand he, in other contexts, it yes. would be a gross conversation when you're the what might be the last four people on earth. It's No, it's you, a gross conversation. You're going to have to get that out in the open at some point. He, right. But it's it's also, if Fran wants Stu, uh -huh. Harold needs to back the... But uh, I, I think that in this case... He's, Stu's doing it because he sees crazy in Harold's eyes. Right. That's why he's doing it. Right. He's like... We may have to travel together, and I don't want this to be terrible 24 right. hours a day, seven days a week. I don't. And I'm not fixing a move anywhere. I'm yeah. the, Like, the world is over. I, I don't have designs on your woman. Also, she's definitely not his woman. And we do see Fran re refuse a, a beer. Yeah. So, it's a hint. It's a hint. Uh, the next thing we see is... Harold coming out of uh, a door and vomiting everywhere. Everybody's I, vomiting everywhere except uh, right. Stu, who was like, I'm yeah, not going in coming. there. I know. I, I liked, <laughs> what I did like about that conversation was... With, my, my notes say, Stovington is a vomitorious bust. <laughs> well, I, I like the, the conversation. I know that it's disturbing that it happened, but I think I like that piece of acknowledging... Okay, there's only four of us as far as we know. Yeah. And we have to either get along right. or we're going to It's the same go thing as Stu going, turn off the pumps, turn off the pumps. Mm -hmm. It's Stu seeing He's the lay of the land off and heading off an issue. Something that's about to happen. Yeah. But it's like... I know, it is still... <laughs> it's it's yeah. upsetting. And then we head back to our favorite couple, Dick and Tom. We love them so much. Uh, and... Tom is sitting on a bench, and he's like, you were right, I shouldn't have eaten all them apples, and his stomach hurts. And Nick, like, has him lay down, uh -huh. and I'm like, how many apples did he eat? He's a large man, he could have eaten quite a few. Yeah. And Nick goes looking for some Pepto, basically. He's going in to look for some antacid or uh, stomach medicine for Tom. He goes into a pharmacy on, in the small um, town. I want to say it It was earlier, I think, in the first scene where Tom is like, we can just go get stuff because mm -hmm. nobody's here. It's okay. Right. Like, he's very much like, I, it's not, I don't think it's stealing at this point. Right. Because there's literally no one else here. So but Tom Cullen, he doesn't break the rules. No, no he does not. M-O-O-N, um, that spells rules. And that's when we meet 
Shawnee Smith, as mm-hmm. you said, a scream queen extraordinaire, came to further prominence later in the 2000s in the Saw franchise. Uh, here she is playing Julie Lowry, uh-huh. and she's the worst. Yo, we haven't really seen, like, just bad behavior yet. We've heard it with the guns and the hooting in mm-hmm. New York and whatnot. Um, and we know that certain people are being called by evil. And Lloyd didn't make good choices in the pre-plague time. But he also wasn't just... She's chaotic evil. Like, she's the embodiment of chaotic evil. Right. She refers to Tom as a phoebe. And I don't remember the word. Well, she, she uses the R word too. Uh, she uses a lot. the word "dummy" on yeah. Nick. Uh, she, although yeah. not, uh, she's not so put off that she doesn't try to have sex with him. Yes, like immediately, like three minutes after seeing him. Now, go ahead and say it straight up. If you are in the apocalypse and you see someone that looks like Rob Lowe in this movie, you also may try to have sex with him. And I would not fault anyone for that choice but don't call him a dummy and don't be such a cunt <laughs> just, she follows him out she's like oh does baby have a tummy ache and he's like i've got a friend outside and they go and he's trying to get her him to take the medicine and it's pepto-bismol and tom's like i don't like that it's not good and out of where Nick can see her, she is telling Tom, uh-huh. don't drink it, it's poison. Yeah. And when Nick realizes what's happening, he gets, like, super mad, and she, like, attacks him, and he hits her, which is wild. <laughs> it's like, <gasps> but also, bitch deserves it. And then later, like, like moments later, she goes up and finds wherever her apartment above She's like a walk-up. A walk-up walk up above the street. She starts firing a gun at them well, and, like, squealing in delight. It's well, yeah, wild. She literally runs down the street cackling. I'll, you know, almost literally, I'll be back and you'll be sorry. I'll be, I'll be back and you'll be sorry. <laughs> and then she goes up to the second-story window and she's shooting at them and... Tom saves With Nick's some life. Sort of, yeah, because he can't. He, he can't doesn't. Hear it. He can't and hear he's it. like, "What are you pushing me for?" She's shooting. Uh, she's it. shooting us, and, and they and they ride off. They ride off on their bicycles, which I thought was even more adorable. <laughs> They're like two kids. They are. <laughs> it is. It, it felt very much like the kids running away in the stand uh-huh. after they get away from the dog or whatever. Like it's that. Oh, kind you mean of, stand by me. Oh yes, and stay by me. Sorry. Or even the kids in it, like they're fighting right. the monster, and then they just <laughs> they ride jump away. On their bikes yeah. right away. It was very funny. Yeah. But yeah, God bless her. She is. She is totally willing just to go there. And to think the first place I saw her was in the remake of The Blob in the '80s, where she was the level-headed survivor girl. Oh, interesting. The last girl. The last girl who lives in the you know and, and actually defeats the monster. So mm-hmm. it's like I thought that was going to be her future. Instead, she specialized. Well. In and she did. A, I've never seen that Becker. That is the saw things. I didn't know she was. I, in I've Becker. never seen Becker, but she was a supporting character. Oh, interesting. And apparently did a lot of great work doing the on the verge of hysteria, maybe she crazy person. Can ramp herself up to be right, mm-hmm. s- sort of simmering. Right. But then she can also go right over that. Yeah. Um. So in Saw, I think she's in the 
second one, and then in several of the mm. other installments. Spoiler alerts for Saw, these are movies that I actually haven't seen. But she becomes like an apprentice to, to, mm. to Jigsaw, and like a mm-hmm. like an acolyte almost. Okay. Uh, and then she actually hosted a show called Scream Queens, where they were looking for the next Scream Queen, uh, which I think was an ideal thing right. for her to do. It was very cool. That was a fun. That was a fun reality show. I don't know that any of them ever got jobs. I'm sure they're all on contract to Blumhouse. Uh, so then we go and um, we see Tom and Nick, and it's a little while later. It's July 9th. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's in. They're in Pratt. Something I don't know where. All the landscapes look alike at this point. Yeah. Small town, I just, small I got, town. I'm getting road, what I can get, road, and then yeah. Right. So July 9th in Pratt, and they see a car coming. It's you know way down on the road, and they see the light flashing, and they're standing there, and they're sort of having this conversation. And is it Tom that says we got to get off the road? What if she? What if they're bad like that woman? Right. He's physically frightened. Yes. By her. Well, I mean, she has a gun, but yeah, she was. He could hear how terrible she was being uh-huh. too. Like the tone of her voice was malicious, right. which Nick didn't get because Nick can't hear the tone. <laughs> uh, and then, but Nick was like, "Well, what if he's good like us?" Mm-hmm. I mean, that's basic. And right. and and Tom understands that, so they they end up staying out, and then they eat meet Ralph Bretner, who is going to Nebraska. <laughs> So yay, good like them. And uh, then finally Tom learns Nick Andros's name because Ralph is able to read. Um, Tom says, I don't know his name because I can't read. Right. And so he you know, writes a little thing. What I will say is, I don't know if it's actually Rob Lowe's handwriting. Mm-hmm. Someone who uses their handwriting to communicate in a notebook would not use the handwriting that Rob Lowe is using. It is big. He is wasting so much paper. And he writes like a child still. And I'm like, this is a person who literally, this is, the, this is his method of communicating with 90% of the people that he comes right. in contact with, maybe more. Uh, his handwriting would be better. Neater? And more uniform, but that's fine. I think gonna, it is just Roblo's handwriting, and right. he doesn't use, you know, he doesn't write to communicate. So, but it just cracks me up. Every time I see Nick's handwriting, I'm like, nope. <laughs> uh, and they decide that they're going to all go together. Uh, it's only a little while longer. Uh, so they're on their way. And then we cut to Larry sitting on a car singing Eve of Destruction outside of Des Moines, Iowa. That's where we are. And he meets Lucy Swan and a child named Joe, who is not Lucy's child, but who Lucy came across and has been trying to protect. And he's about 12. He seems uh, like she said that he nearly went feral. I think he went feral. Is yes. the impression I'm getting? He's she, violent. And... She refers, she, first of all, she says feral, mm-hmm. which is not, not how that I word is pronounced. Word. Uh, but uh, no, or he was autistic. That could be the case, too. It's, I, it's like, early, too early for me to tell which you don't, one we don't know. supposed to go um, But he, is, he does act wild, and he does sort of lash out. He doesn't want to be touched, and that's fine. 
I think he almost bites Larry at one point. Uh, and she's like, what? He's like, what happened? Because Des Moines is ashes. Mm-hmm. And she says there were explosions outside the city at the uh, refinery. And then it yeah. caught and burned to the ground. And she she thinks somebody did it on purpose. And Larry's like, who would burn an entire city? Cut to Trash Can Man, who looks terrible because he is... First of all, he has burns all over his body, and it's unclear whether those are burns that were were received in from blow-back heat from explosions, Mm -hmm. or he's walking through the Utah Badlands. That was the impression I got, that he's horribly sunburned. And he's just sunburned. I think it may be a little from column A and a little from column B. Uh, but uh, but we don't know. And he is just following Flag's voice, basically. Right. Heading towards... Well, we don't know what he's heading towards. You think at this point he's heading towards Nevada. He's not. Okay. I mean, he may be heading towards Nevada. He's not heading towards Las Vegas uh, at this point. But he is, has he started saying, my life for you? Mm-hmm. My life for you, my life for you. That is his mantra. And then something about, I want to say bibbidi-bobbidi-boo, but that's not it. Bumpity-bumpity. He'll say that a lot later, but I think it's after he gets some things together. Uh, and then we're back with Mother Abigail, but we're not in a dream. It's real life. And Tom and Nick and Ralph show up. Uh, and they have another person named Susan with them. Who? Yeah, we have no we story have, on how they picked we her up. We just know it's right. Susan. That's it. She's got a much richer life in the book than she does in the movie. It's just, it's too many. It's a lot of characters, y'all. It's a lot of characters. Um, oh, no, I guess he was going to Las Vegas because then... Uh, well, before that, she's making dinner. She's, like, cooking a big meal before anybody shows yeah. up. And fortunately... God gave her the right time and place, and everybody who shows up eats some fried chicken. Then they're all gonna put they're gonna put the kids to bed, and it is light outside. I'm just like, I mean, good luck with that, but okay. Uh, and then they say they're gonna head out the next morning. Um, and then we're in Las Vegas, and we see trash can managers walking through Las Vegas. That's it. It's a desolate place. Yeah. And you see, oh, yeah. it's the plaza. Which is now called something else. The Plaza Hotel in Las Vegas. And that's where the headquarters of uh-huh. Randall Flagg is the legal, be. The Legion of Doom. Yes. <laughs> and then we are in a sort of on a hill overlooking a city. And it's outside of Boulder. Everybody has... Oh, no. They're... Yes, no, that's right. They've they've gone from Nebraska to Boulder, and everybody is getting that pinging. Everybody knew they were going to end up going there after because they'd been talking about it. Right. If we miss her in Boulder, or if we miss her in Nebraska, we can we'll, we'll meet up with them in Boulder. So Boulder, Colorado, is where they're headed, uh, and then M O O N that spells parade. Okay. All in a parade, <laughs> and they all are carpooling into Boulder, and that is where we leave them. So, Trash Can Man and presumably Lloyd has reached Las Vegas, right? And the good guys, for the most part, 
are reaching Boulder. They're getting there. I think Larry has shown up, um, and and uh, Stu and Franny aren't there, or, or, or I think meet up in Boulder. Mm-hmm. I think we'll we'll see that uh, next time. That's so. That's where we are. That's it's all getting it's to coming to picking sides. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yep, so yep, yep. What did you? Who do you think was the clear winner in this episode? In this episode, right. Woof. What am I? What would? What am I judging again? Judging against any criteria, the person who came away with the episode making the best impression. I think Mother. Ab- this is Mother Abigail's episode. Mm. I think. I think this is the most we see of her right. um, of any of the episodes. Uh, she gets, you know, she gets good timing on her meal. Mm-hmm. That's not that's fantastic. Everybody's showing up. Right. They put her in her chair in the bed of a truck, which uh-huh. is a good look. And she gets to where she's supposed to be. And uh, all the bleeding that she does is dream bleeding, so I think she's okay. Uh, yeah, I think it's Mother Abigail's episode. I liked, she had a great moment. There's a lot of really good moments in this episode. Mm-hmm. There's an interesting moment where she's telling Nick that God has brought him here. Oh, that's right. And Nick's like, but right. I don't believe in God. And then she laughs and, she and she says, God believes in, in you. And the he look, believes in you. <laughs> the look on Chadlow's face, his take on that is amazing. Do you mean Rob? Rob Chad. Chad. I'm sorry, Chad. <laughs> it doesn't make it, they all look like to me. But Rob Lowe, his reaction to that is amazing. It's sort of like startled and snapped in the nose and doesn't quite know what to make of it. And yeah. It's a really good... Because he also like can't explain that this woman is real. Right. Like, He's dreamed about her, but he—it's—it's it's just such a great physical take yeah. that he does, and yeah. all of his performance here has to be physical, yeah, um, because he's not able to rely on talking at all, right? So he's pantomiming most of the performance. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, if you remember, uh, for the members of the audience who were alive back then, this was his comeback role after right, right. a really trumped-up scandal, right? Um, well, the other thing that really bodes well for his performance generally mm-hmm. I will say is as much as I'd like to see a hearing impaired actor in the role I understand it's 1994 and we're just now getting to the point where that might be a thing right. I think he probably worked with some deaf people oh I'm sure that he did because the openness on his face the thing about people who communicate via sign language, uh-huh. is your face communicates all your grammar. So you have to really start with an open visage uh-huh. to put anything on that. And he is able to really do that very well for a hearing person. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he's able to just sort of blank slate his face um, and keep himself... Like his his eyes are always very wide. Like he's just there's an just an openness to his face that I don't think he has in every role. No, no, it's very doesn't. specific right. to this, and it's I think it's very specific to the deaf community. And I think he does a nice job. He does do a nice job. I agree with you, Mother Abigail. Also, it, she's a, but 
As I said, I grew up watching one yeah, amazing once performance again, after this another is Ruby amazing D. performance after another amazing performance from her. This so, is Ruby D to me. Seeing this, so. yeah, <laughs> and that's a pity. That that's one of the great pities when you're getting an actor later on, but at the same time, but you can always go back and visit a place in the yeah. sun, a uh, raisin in the sun. I think is no, the, of course. But um, God, yeah, there's so much great stuff that she did. Yeah. So what do you think? Is that you? I, you I agree with you. I okay. think that between her and Rob Lowe, but yeah. also, also, you know, I was going to say Tom Bob Cohen, man. Um, she, he is, he is again. He's doing when, and we talked about that last week with the different versions of a Mice and Men. Yeah. And how the reason why Lon Chaney Jr. ran away from this is that he. I mean, ran away from a pack of that includes people like John Malkovich and the, mm-hmm. these really important, well-received actors. The reason why Lon Chaney Jr. was able to do it is that he just sort of went for broke, and I'm going to approach this as a enormous child. Yeah. At the same time, not a child, and that's where Malkovich, I think, failed doing a lisp and doing almost like a baby talk. Yeah, that he's no, doing. you just have to right. One of the tragedies like, of Lenny like and, the, and... The, the word simple is uh, used derogatorily, but that's really what you need. You need a simplicity. Right. And, and I don't mean that in a bad way. It, right. It's, yeah. an, it's an openness and a... You just need, like, basic open humanity before cynicism comes in, yeah. before sarcasm comes, like... Well, that's, not, it's none of that. The great tragedy of the Lennies of the world is that they're aware that they're slow on the uptake. Yes. Right. And that's like, Tom they, Cullen yeah. understands his difference. Right. But the, the, the way that he has also uh, taken in little bits and pieces of other people's communications, Love, yes. Tom yes. Collins talking about himself in the third person. Yes. He does sound very much like somebody who's raised by an ancient grandmother who passed on all these weird... I mean, I can almost see it. That's how good that performance is. There's a lot of good stuff in here. This episode impressed me as being really filled with a lot of good, of genuinely good performances. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, so that's that episode. Mm-hmm. The Betrayal. Okay. And the last episode is called The Stand, which makes a certain amount of sense. So the next episode is called The Betrayal. So who will betray who? Somebody will be betrayed. It's true. Yeah. So that is up next week. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, do you have anything you would like to recommend? I saw a movie yesterday. Same. Um, we saw it together, and this is Dr. Sleep. We're not going to talk about it. We're not going to talk about <laughs> it, but I have to say that as a film, it really, I think it was one of the movies I've seen in the last year. I've seen a couple of them, which has been a pretty good year for me, where it didn't make wrong moves. I don't know what the book was about. I can separate myself from it saying I've never read yeah, the book. Yeah, you've never read the book. But I will say that the film that I saw just hits the right notes over and over and over again. It's very good. Yeah, um, we will be doing an entire episode because this season is about film adaptations of Stephen King's work. Dr. Sleep, for anyone who doesn't know, is a sequel to The Shining. And Mike Flanagan, the director, 
was able to make both a sequel to The Shining book and a sequel to The Shining movie and a movie out of a book that I didn't think was going to be filmable when I read it. Mm-hmm. All of those things are true. He marries the very different book and movie versions and he does it in a very smart way. Uh, I enjoyed it immensely. It is maybe my favorite Stephen King adaptation. Uh, yeah, I, I... It's hard to say. <laughs> we'll give you a rundown at the end of this whole series. I am very series, fond but... of The Shining and some of the other films. I didn't think that something was going to be able to follow that performance or that adaptation, but I have to say the performances were amazing, and also there were twists. There was a twist that happened that you were going to warn me about. I'm yeah, and I'm super glad that I and didn't say anything about I it. when I actually saw it going that way, I got chills, because I'm like, oh my God, this is actually going to happen. This yeah. is going to be so cool. Yeah, and uh, it's not doing well. Oh, that's a pity. Um, financially. I don't know if people don't know what it is. I don't, I don't know. Uh, critically, you know, people are saying it's the best adaptation since Shawshank, which just means it has universal appeal. That's mm. what that means. Yeah. What they're saying is you don't have to like horror to like this movie. Yeah. Is this a horror movie? Oh, yes. Mm. Oh, yeah. I yes. think that was that uh, coming out of the theater, there were some people who were surprised by that. Standing in the way of the automobile because they were just kind of taken aback by the intensity of some of the violence. Yeah. They weren't expecting it. Yeah. But but it is a really great movie. It is. It is a very very good movie. All of the yeah the cast was great. Yeah, like across the board, the cast was great. The direction was really good. I really like Mike Flanagan. We're going to talk about him before we talk about Darker Sleep mm-hmm. because he has adapted now several or just a couple. Let me just make sure that it's only. Only two, so this is his second Stephen King adaptation. So before we get to that, we'll talk about his uh, adaptation of Gerald's Game, which he made for Netflix, which I enjoyed very much. He also adapted The Haunting of Hill House, which I liked more than you did, but I am not as married to the original well, work as you are. I read the are. book, and I really love the original film. Yeah. I would say, as I said, you know, when we talked about it the first time, I would enjoy it if it wasn't called The Haunting of Hill House. Yeah, that's because fair. It was so different. So Think about different. it like that. Oh, what was it? Um, an American haunting colon ghosts of Connecticut or whatever, because right. they needed to, or a Connecticut haunting colon ghosts of Georgia, because for no reason they were like, we're going to make a second one in this franchise that isn't really a franchise. franchise. It was really so weird. Unrelated stories about ghosts. <laughs> so bizarre. Um, he also wrote a, wrote and directed, no, maybe just edited. Oh, wait. Let me, let me find the directing things that he's done uh, so that I'm not... Wrote and directed two things that I know that you like. One was Absentia mm-hmm. and one was Hush. You saw Hush, right? I don't quite remember. The deaf No, I never got to see it. Main character? No, I really liked Absentia, though. I, oh, I thought that you, was we should see Hush, because I think film. you would like it very much. And he did Oculus. 
uh-huh. um, which had the Karen Gillan and right. yeah. So he's done some good horror stuff, and I am very excited to see what he is going to continue to do. Uh, this is probably one of my favorite movies of the year. I will say, yeah, uh, was Doctor Sleep. So, uh, and it's been a pretty good year for movies. Mm-hmm. So that's you know saying something. I haven't read the book since it came out. I decided not to be. Not to torture myself. An adaptation right. is different than the book. Very An adaptation different. is always different than the book. And the, if I had read the book in the last month, I all I would have been doing is sitting in the theater going, that's, that's not, not that's not what the book said. That's not that's not that's different than the book. Which, why would you do that to yourself? I I remembered vaguely mm-hmm. what the plot was, and I was like, let's do this. So, uh, I enjoyed it very much, and I uh, I recommend it to anybody. If you haven't seen the original Shining, mm-hmm. you, should version, you should see it. And this uh, one bookmarks with it really well. You don't, but I don't think you need to have seen the Shining to okay, watch. And if enjoy you have this not movie. seen the original Shining, go see it just because it's a masterpiece. Mm. Then go see this movie. Also, if you, if you order online tickets to see Doctor Sleep, they're giving 99 cent rentals of The Shining away wow. with your tickets. So, if there was a if there's a price problem and that's an option, that's an option for you. Yeah, we had a very interesting encounter where we had <sighs> a horror actually in the theater itself. Yeah. Uh, where someone was, I don't know exactly what they were doing. She had dropped her phone and an alarm started going off a half an hour before the end of the phone and five minutes, the uh, the end of the film, and five minutes after it started going off, people started getting, like, mad. Mm -hmm. And then people had, she had to be escorted out the... Ushers had to come and find her phone for well, they her. Called security. They called she security. She was refusing to move because they were move. asking her, please. Yeah, she dropped her phone behind her seat and I guess was just fine with not looking for it. Just, well, this alarm went, yep, off. For, went off. For Apparently, she was cool with it just going off for 40 minutes as, right. we, as we got to and the end of the film. it was the climax of the movie. It was, it it was, was really a wild so life choice. Credit to AMC. They actually gave us... Tickets to see it. Again. Yeah, we have re-entry uh-huh. admission tickets, which I guess are good for two years to see whatever we want. So, thanks, AMC. Yeah, that was actually <laughs> very kind of them to realize, yeah, uh, the experience that we had of it. Especially because it was, we saw it on the second or third night that you could see it. We saw it Sunday night of opening weekend. So, it's not like we were there for the third time. This right. was our first time trying to see this movie. Uh, yeah, no, I, I enjoyed it very, very much, and I, I uh, recommend it highly to basically everybody. Y'all... Children of all ages. Yeah, yes. Well, maybe not. Although, content warning, children are harmed in this film. Repeatedly. So, be aware of that. If that's not a thing that you can deal with, then, you know, that's not a thing you can deal with, and we understand, but... If it is, this is a... It's a very high-quality horror movie. And just a good movie in general. Yeah, it is. Okay, so that brings us to the end of this here episode. We will be watching, as we said before, The Stand, episode three, The Betrayal, for next week's episode. Uh, in the meantime, if you have questions, concerns, comments, you can email us at latecomerspod at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at latecomerspod on Twitter. You can find us at the Latecomers Podcast on Facebook. 
everything. And I remind you to take your medicine, and we remind you, better late than never. never.